This is the Ask a Death Doula podcast, a platform of free education on how to have the best end-of-life experience possible by knowing how to live your best life now. With experienced hospice, oncology, and wellness nurse, Suzanne B. O'Brien. Hey everyone, it's Suzanne O'Brien and welcome to this episode of Ask a Death Doula. Today, as you can see, I have a very special guest. This is Michael Hebb. He has a very long resume, so I'm gonna highlight a few things and then we're gonna get right into the conversation because we have some super exciting news to share with you and let's just take it away. So I just wanna share that Michael Hebb, for a lot of you who know what I do, you probably know Death Over Dinner and he is the founder of Death Over Dinner. And he also has a book out. And now what he's doing is he is again on this international platform, but we're gonna talk about a conference that's coming up this April in Washington. And also he has another special announcement. So <laughs> we're gonna kind of let this conversation show you what we're going to be talking about. So Michael, thank you so much for being here. Oh, it's great to be here. Okay, so the first thing I wanna just talk about is your background a little bit. And why was this subject matter important to you? Why was death? something that you felt strongly about to educate and be part of well um now and do you want me to be looking at these lovely people or over at you Whichever a little bit of both a little bit of both okay <laughs> <laughs> just want to make okay. sure um that i'm doing like the other people who've been on the podcast um yeah. so um my background is actually as an architect okay um, and um which a lot of people find surprising given makes perfect sense to me no, yeah, <laughs> Um, and I think that, um, you know, I came at it from this perspective of the importance of design, um, okay. and which has always been really, um, essential to me since I was a child. Um, but I lost my father when I was in, um, when I was 13 mm. um, and he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's when I was in second grade. So wow. at a very young, um, and impressionable age, I got to experience, um, what it means to deal with a terminal diagnosis um, and how, what an impact that has on the family. Can um, I ask you, in that, yeah. in that space, did somebody guide you? Did somebody sit down and talk to you? Were you able to have a conversation with your father early on about what was happening or how did that all look? What did that look no, like? Because you talk about design. No, so. it was a nightmare. Um, okay. You know, and okay. so sometimes the best designs come from nightmares. A hundred percent. And mm -hmm. and not wanting to have anybody experience what you had to experience. I love that. Um, and so, mm -hmm. what I um, my childhood experience of it was um, having no guidance um, from a parental side or from a mentor side or. Mm -hmm from a psychological or therapy side. Mm -hmm. um, and it was a disaster. Um, he was angry, confused. He wasn't well communicated to, and then he was overdrugged um, and in terrible institutions. Um, and he died, um, you know, in a, some sort of strange um, assisted care foster home situation. And there was, yeah. there was, um, the memorial was painful and bad and there wasn't closure. Um, and I didn't know how to talk to anybody. My friends, I remember he died on Halloween and I actually went out um, on Halloween night mm -hmm. with you know, my 13 year old friends and Halloween is like a party night, sure. right? Yeah. Like, 
Um, especially when you're 13, you're getting into a lot of trouble on Halloween yeah. if you're that type of kid. And um, and I, mem I remember so distinctly being out with my friends and realizing that there was not there was no one that I could share this information with. I mean, my father had just died, yeah. and I didn't have the confidence that anybody in my friend group would have the skills or the ability to hold that kind of weight. And mm -hmm. so I didn't, I didn't try it. Right. Um, yeah. And it created this, um, this distance, um, between me and my friend group, um, which didn't, um, it just grew. Um, yeah. And that was actually, um, that differentiation between me and my friends, um, even though was lonely and hard and mm -hmm. I went through some depression and things it's actually where I think um, where my greatest gifts started mm -hmm. to come from because um, instead of like being interested or just moving along with the flow sure with what everybody um, was expected of them and convention etc I was suddenly asking questions that nobody you else became was a seeker yeah um, and so, yeah. you know, that's when I got interested in spirituality and yeah. meditation and, you know, um, trying to make sense of it all. Yeah. So it was, um, you know, everybody has this kind of Genesis story in this work that, um, and a part of them has to die, um, sure. you know, for them to really want to be able to do this. I think it's so beautiful to, to, again, take experiences. And sometimes I joke about how I feel like my whole training was built on what not to do, you yeah, know, sure. and I have a very vast training. But um, I think it's so beautiful to understand that, you know, our painful experiences can really lead us to a higher, although yeah. very hard to understand that when we're going through it. Yeah. Um, but if you could go back and that, that young boy, mm. what would have helped at that point? What would you have needed that you feel would have helped um, so we can kind of share that information right now if somebody's in that scene. Yeah, well, so a lot of things. I mean, it's a long list, mm -hmm. but I'll take like the top three or four. Um, one is um, making it clear that um, things um, are only going to get, um, it's going to become only more difficult to communicate with my father, right? Mm -hmm. That And that there would be moments um, of total clarity. Right. Um, and to right um, and to talk openly about the fact that you know the progression of his um, dementia what mm -hmm. it would look like mm -hmm. um, and the the primary function there is just open conversation mm -hmm. the lack of it turned it into a shameful thing mm -hmm. um, and so I ended up being ashamed of my sick father right I, ashamed of um, and embarrassed by him even when there wasn't an audience right right um, which was just, um, you know, I'm sure caused him immense pain that we weren't connecting when he had the opportunity to connect. Yeah. Um, and I saw him very little, um, and I didn't, there was no like taking advantage of the potential joy and beauty. It was just pain, right? It was just drudgery and sure. pain and disappointment and shame. And so, um, an honest conversation and then therapy, Absolutely. like immediately. Um, if your child, if, you know, if a child is going to lose a parent from a terminal diagnosis, um, it, like put that child in therapy immediately because yeah. I'm a parent. I don't have the skills yeah. for that. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, I work in this space mm -hmm. deeply and, mm -hmm. um, and if, if I was in that situation where the person, 
you know, one of my children's, um, you know, mother or myself, et cetera, was, had a terminal diagnosis, I'm not going to try to handle that myself. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and you shouldn't have to feel it. You have to. I no. mean, you need your own support. Absolutely. And also, I feel like it sometimes is very beneficial for a third party to come in that's yeah. neutral, that does not have the history, that can be there. And I often think that our presence is some of the best medicine we can give one another. And that, yeah. in, because you're not going to fix it. Right. I'm not here to fix it. What can I say? But there are tools, but also just to be that presence that I see you I, and I'm here for you. You tell me yeah. what you need. Yeah. So I think it's absolutely beautiful and really, really means a lot that you are at that tender age that you started seeking. And, you know, no doubt he's a little bit ahead of his time now. You know, he's like a powerhouse, <laughs> this man. So it makes perfect sense. It started at like 13. Um, so you gifted, you know, this your father, like in his honor and what you're doing is so beautiful so that other people do not suffer in that same place. So with that being said, death over dinner, how did that come about? Yeah, so that actually um, came through architecture. So I, okay. I studied architecture and I, um, and I went to architecture school and started a firm um, right out of architecture school. Um, and I realized, and we were doing really cool community-based work and some mm -hmm. guerrilla architecture work, mm -hmm. um, um, doing illegal, um, uh, like... You heard it here. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Some really, like, fun illegal uh -huh. installations of, um, um, kind of architectural sculptures in Portland. Um, but well, that's a whole different topic. But, mm -hmm. um, what I realized was architecture was really inefficient way to create human experience. So the goal of architecture, especially what I studied, was about shaping um, human lives um, mm -hmm. and creating um, powerful human experiences, like mm -hmm. um, an a environment that brings out the best of us, mm -hmm. right? Um, and in a kind of like Cabousier or Frank Lloyd Wright sort of way. Um, and then it occurred to me that um, that's a very long route yeah. to creating experience yes. to go find a hundred million dollars to build a yeah. you know monument to the human experience or even a million dollars for a house or whatever um the the dinner table is sitting in most of our apartments and living places we don't necessarily know how to use it often mm -hmm. we usually pile you know mail <laughs> on it stuff, or yeah. Yeah, yeah. place for homework mm -hmm. but um the table is one of the oldest and maybe the first architecture um so like maybe the first third place right okay. first intentional yeah. space for a convivial social activity yeah it's a dinner table yep. um and when we go from just like s steely knives into um, roast <laughs> meat over a fire yeah to yeah. the intentionality of putting it in a place where we're going to share something mm -hmm. um and, and when we sit down to a, um, a dinner table, um, it doesn't matter. The architecture is often irrelevant, mm -hmm. right? If the mm -hmm. conversation and the food mm -hmm. and the human connection is strong enough, mm. and really it's the human connection piece, mm. um, you're transported outside of time and mm -hmm. outside of place, mm -hmm. outside of architecture, mm -hmm. and you're definitely in the realm of powerful human experience, right? And so I was like, I don't need buildings. I just need Wait to... a minute, we can do this. <laughs> <laughs> um, let me focus on the table um, yeah. as the as a kind of social architecture um, mm -hmm. to understand how it works. And so I spent 20 years 
um, in the deep um, investigation of the dinner table. Because um, who doesn't like to eat a good right. meal too? Right. I mean, who's going to say no? Right. <laughs> but I think there's so much here because you're absolutely right. But I feel like that's one of the things that we're missing in our modern day society is that getting together physically anywhere. I mean, even families don't do that. And then there's the other part about the nourishing segment of it. Mm -hmm. If I'm going to sit down with you and we're going to have a feast and get in that place of, you're right, time and space, it all kind of goes away. We can almost approach any subject. That's right. You're not, um, yeah. the likelihood of being in fight or flight um, or freeze right. um, is really low. Yeah. In, um, yeah. at a dinner. So it depends on if maybe you were traumatized at a dinner table or maybe you're at dinner table with people who've put you on edge. I mean, a lot of that, given the right conversation mm -hmm. and the right topic, um, even if it's people that you have very difficult um, dynamics with, can break through the dinner. Yeah. Like the, the ritual is more powerful than the individual. I agree, um, yeah. And I mean, I wanted to um, start bringing, um, you know, warring states together, mm -hmm. um, heads of state mm -hmm. um, around uh, the dinner table. I mean, I've been able to bring heads of state together at dinner um, but not in active conflict. Um, right. And, um, and I think that we could actually, like, you couldn't unexperience the level of human connection that um, would be felt at those tables. I and agree. And it would impact the geopolitics of our day, but we don't have to go all no, the way No, but there. I mean, the, <laughs> but, the, but the foundation is there, and it's so important to understand that there is, again, these common ways that we can come together, but... It reminds us that we all are human beings and when we feel that connection um, and lower our, you know, our guard, mm -hmm. um, we, we all really are going for the same goals. We all want to be loved. We want our families to do well, right? Yeah. You know, so I think it's beautiful. So this turned into an international sensation. I know you have a lot of different parts of it, including um, now with healthcare. Is that right? You have yeah. something for... Yeah, so we launched Death Over Dinner eight years ago, and the idea was um, how it was designed because I wanted to um, pick a topic, and it was the beginning of um, what would be many topics, um, but where people could have a meaningful conversation, um, potentially a transformative conversation mm -hmm. at scale. Mm -hmm. So dinner table and a dinner invitation is finite, right? Mm -hmm. We've got one, it's got mm -hmm. edges, mm -hmm. doesn't work yep. to have a thousand people in conversation at a table. Yeah six to eight people like but how do you scale that right sure. how do you scale yeah. the finite um and so it's like let's um create this um very beautiful dinner platform um that gives people enough like gives them almost like a board game like yep. they, um so that they know exactly what to do in this difficult conversation so they know they feel held um, right and they have a blameable third party which is very important. Like board games are like, if you don't like the board game, you don't blame your mom, okay. right? You're like, God, I, I don't okay. like Monopoly. Right. Um, but the idea of a game is everybody likes, right? Yeah. So um, this crazy idea of sitting down and having death, a conversation over dinner um, hit this nerve. And there's, yeah, there's been over a million people who sat down and had death dinners. And um, then we have been iterating on it. We built a Jewish edition um, we've, um, we're actually working on a Christian faith edition. It's beautiful. Um, with, um, one of the leading, um, faith-based colleges in the United States. Um, but there's a healthcare edition, um, that has really started, just launched, but the impact 
is huge. Um, we're working with just down the street with Memorial Sloan Kettering um, here in New York, and they're in this lengthy process of having, well, you know, possibly all of their clinicians go through. Um, and they should. Yeah, I mean, I, I I don't use the should word, but I like that you I are. Do. Yeah. <laughs> and I can, and I want to speak to this for a minute because I really want to talk about within the healthcare system our amazing people that work within the system, the doctors, the nurses, the aides, everybody. Everyone is suffering yeah. from this lack of a healthy relationship with end of life, which is part a natural part of the journey. Like, how did we get here? And so our clinicians are right now, in my opinion, what I've seen, they're expected to fix this. And having this conversation, they're not even given the time to have an end of life conversation because it's just, there's so many patients and, and all the regulations. So right. for us to be able to say, hey, we, we, uh, we see what you're going through as well. Um, we have to do this together. I always say we have to move forward in this yeah. together, but it, I think a lot of it is us, people. I have to make my decisions ahead of time. I have to say one day, end of life will be a part of my journey, yeah. so how do I wanna live? And I feel like that's a big part of your focus, what you wanna be doing. Yeah, well that speaks to the platform we're about to launch, but let me tell you one story about the healthcare edition um, okay. that really um, illustrates the importance of it. Um, and you know, we, we did want to get to the people that are on the front lines. Um, one, if I can change the way that, um, end of or doctors and clinicians and practitioners feel about death, um, mm -hmm. and their, um, literacy on the topic mm -hmm. and their comfort level, mm -hmm. um, and then their skill, mm -hmm. right? Um, mm -hmm. but first there's comfort and literacy before there's skill, um, and, if we can change that, the experience of countless patients will be changed, mm -hmm. right? And so that was our model. But you know, D is a bad, you know, the D word is a bad word in in healthcare. Yes, um, in healthcare, yeah. Yeah, and so I found myself, and I, it took us eight years knocking on the door of the American Medical Establishment to get in, um, and now our partners are Memorial Sloan Kettering, the Cleveland Clinic. Um, and really the most respected um, healthcare systems in the world. Um, and I found myself hosting a dinner for 20 um, heart surgeons mm -hmm. um, at the Cleveland Clinic where they were the first, the first successful heart surgery was performed at the Cleveland Clinic. Wow. And so, and this was the lineage of some of those doctors, okay. some of them in their okay. 80s, yep. et cetera, um, and their care teams. Okay. So not only do you, you have um, you know, the head of um, cardiothoracic surgery, but you have the head of cardiothoracic anesthesiology mm -hmm. and the head nurse mm -hmm. and the palliative care um, that they tend to tell to leave the room because they're saving lives, um, not ending them, right? So there's a lot of tension and they're like, who is this guy and why are we doing this death dinner? <laughs> um, and they look at me as we're starting the dinner and, and I'm, I'm explaining what we're about to go through. And I said, you know, just for tonight, I want us to think about medicine in a slightly different way. Mm -hmm. So undoubtedly you practice medicine, um, no question. Um, and you practice medicine to stave off death, right? Um, and to reduce human suffering. Mm -hmm. um, I think that, you know, yeah. that's non-controversial. Right. right. And I was like, for tonight I want you to actually imagine the death itself and the topic that that is medicine, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And it has a whole psycho-spiritual but also a physiological 
mm. impact on your mm. patients and their ability um, to heal once they're done, mm. you know, uh, or or their family's ability to heal mm -hmm. if they don't make it. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, in that, like, you could feel, like, the air. All of a sudden, yeah. They were like, yeah. okay. <laughs> Where, where's the door? <laughs> well, no, they were like, we're going to listen to this guy. Well, I think, I was going to ask you, yeah. did they feel relieved? Oh, well, undeniably, there was not a dry eye yeah. in that um, in that room. And what, what we got to see was, because I, I had full care teams at tables together. Mm -hmm. So instead of just having a, um, a table of doctors, right. um, this was, um, you know, the physician's assistant and the nurse and the attending. All... So you could hear everyone's perspective. And... Yeah. And right. to watch the chair um, chairman, um, Nicholas Scubas of um, Cardiothoracic, talk about, um, you know, the, the death of a family member crying mm -hmm. and watch the hierarchy mm -hmm. and the dynamics and the mm -hmm. softening change, mm -hmm. I knew that those care teams were going to um, respond to each other, react to each other, treat each other as in a different way going mm -hmm. forward. You Like it was this gestalt therapy that you see at almost every death dinner, depending upon how connected people are. Yeah. It happens with strangers too, but if you see, a, if you sit down with a family, yeah. um, you literally watch, you, you know their dynamic's gonna shift. Mm -hmm. They're dynamic. Yeah, not, you know, not there, and you see this all the time yeah. with your work that you're actually not seeing a instance change. You're seeing a dynamic which can. It's actually, an energetic hole, yeah. yeah, and that can impact generations. Absolutely, right? like, I mean, yeah, and I think that um, it's it's absolutely beautiful. But think about what terminology we're using in the medical world. Which I'm sorry, there's no more I can do for you. I lost my battle with. I mean, we're yeah. setting this up. There is so much we can do for patients. Yeah. at the end at that end phase there's sure. that must might be the most important time that we care for people so this is extremely empowering to shift the way the perspective and also the tools um that we support doctors with yeah. so it that's that's great because yeah. we we have to do that we have to support them it's it's really challenging um so i want to ask you what is going on in april in washington oh, yeah, okay. and also where is this concept from? It's beautiful. It's called love and death. I always talk about how it's one. You know, yeah. death is not over there. Death is part of life. If I'm talking yeah. about life, I'm going to be talking about death and vice versa. So share with me the love and death concept, what's happening, how people get involved. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, what started with a love story. Okay. Um, so um, my book, Let's Talk About Death, came out um, last year. Okay. Um, and I was in town. I was in New York, not too far from here. <laughs> um, doing an event at Habitas, and it was a conversation between me and Mama Gina, Regina Thomas-Hauer, um, and she, her most recent book is Pussy, A Reclamation, and so, which... And we're not going to edit that out, no, okay. <laughs> You might. <laughs> no, uh, I'm not. <laughs> um, and she, New York Times bestseller, yeah, so... Yeah. Um, and so we were like, great, we're going to talk about death and pussy tonight, um, which really, that was at Reimagine in um, October of okay. whatever, last year. Um, and so we had a really exciting conversation, as yeah. you can imagine. Mm -hmm. um, and at the end of it, um, uh, Dr. Jordana Jacobs came up to me and said, you know, I'm really a bit nervous meeting you because your work means a lot Aww. to me. And, um, and she started to explain why. And instead of kind of the more regular conversations I have with people about the loss that they've had, it was that she was a clinical psychologist. Um, 
she did her um, doctoral research on the connection between love and death mm -hmm. um, and looked at, which was groundbreaking research. She doesn't agree with me how groundbreaking it is, but nonetheless, um, that looked at the fact that if we willingly face our mortality, if mm -hmm. we're primed for death, primed for our mortality, that we actually increase our capacity to love um, in a variety of ways. Yeah, which we, I agree, 100%. Yeah, and there's no question right. from a practical, embodied, yeah anecdotal, spiritual, sure. lineage sense of that, but it doesn't exist in the psychological canon, or it didn't until she did this research. Okay. Um, there's a lot of work that has been done around terror management theory and defending against death and our anxiety. Exactly, But there's yeah. not like... Like, what a great tool it is. Embrace it. Right, and get death is love. like, your, should be your friend, your best friend. Yes. Teaches you how to, and this is so interesting because- And maybe I, an aphrodisiac. Right. And maybe an aphrodisiac. <laughs> okay. Um, but it is really true. And I think, again, this is only the last hundred years that we have lost our complete relationship with death being part of the journey. And look at the destruction that's yeah. all around us. And I swear that a major part of that is the denial that one day this yeah, journey will be over. But when you do listen to people at the end of life, the love, the wisdom, how real it gets um, and it lets everyone in that dynamic walk out the door with a whole different perspective about their life. Yeah. Um, it's one of the greatest gifts that we can have. Yeah. So I agree. So I love the work that she does. I think you're right that it's groundbreaking and I agree. Um, so you came up now with this conference that you're gonna have. Yeah, so, so here we are at the, um, mm -hmm. at the, uh, the book launch and I say, Let, we need to have tea tomorrow because I need to know more. And so we have tea the next day and I, I was like, we have to work together um, because this is a, in the same way that when I learned how badly we die in the United States mm. and the statistic that 80% of us die at home and only 20, 80% um, of us die in hospitals and only 20% of us, 80% um, of one die at home and only 20% of us do. Right. Um, that, that created death over dinner. Mm -hmm. And then when I heard about Jordana's um, uh, research, um, I was like, we need to create um, a gathering called Love and Death. And so we did a retreat last year um, in April in upstate New York. And it was so successful that we decided to bring it to a major stage um, in Seattle. Mm -hmm. um, and so we created a conference called Love and Death that Susan has come to speak at. Um, and so it's BJ Miller and Shoshana Berger and Shoshana Ungerleiter, a lot of Shoshanas. Yeah, that's good. Um, and Ira Bayak and Eric Weinstein and Alex Benayan, a very long list. Yeah, of amazing people. Of amazing yeah. people. Yeah, um, it's wonderful. And there'll be um, about 16 fireside chats at Town Hall Seattle, which is this iconic um, uh, venue in the middle of um, Seattle, um, and um, and it is it's a, a love or relationship expert paired with an end of life expert, um, essentially um, different variations of that through the two days, and then about twenty community events, including a world training day, yeah, um, yeah, level right. one training, yeah, um, and a bunch of other things. People are going to be able to design and even be able to make with a ceramicist their own urn. Love it, um, love it. There's a love and death, a, a night of love and death songs um, hosted, um, will we'll include members of like the band Head and Heart and like incredible Seattle musicians that are hard to get, um, you know, it's to see in major venues. Um, yeah. So, like, yeah. <laughs> so it's really kind of more like an ideas festival. Mm -hmm. um, 
and kind of reminiscent of um, Reimagine, but it all happens within um, a three block radius okay. um, on First Hill in Seattle over just um, three days. Um, Beautiful. So, yeah, and we don't, um, we're going to, oh, and that's the, we get announced that. I know, yeah, I, was yeah, gonna, okay. I didn't forget. So, Love and Death um, at Round.Glass. Um, okay. Uh, and I'm sure we're gonna put all the, the links, links for you guys. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, that's in April, and there's still tickets available that will sell out. Yeah. Um, and it'll be live cast. Um, Chase Jarvis nice. and Creative nice. Live are gonna yes. live cast Great. it. Okay. Um, but then we just confirmed today. Um, today, hot off today, the press. Yeah, okay. That um, we are going to host Love and Death New York um, for two days, June 12th and 13th, as part of Reimagine. Um, but in partnership with Memorial Sloan Kettering at their um, Rock Rockefeller Auditorium, I believe. Yep, um, sounds right. And yeah, and the this is incredible. Yeah, <laughs> the, like I always say, this this end of life movement is happening in dog years. It might even be late years because it's incredible how the universe is bringing everyone together, and really everyone's coming together. Yeah, it's like magic. Well, and the, here's the thing: is we like not only is um, MSK um, Memorial Sloan Kettering doing death dinners with all those commissions, but to um, mm. partner in, mm -hmm. host, and mm -hmm. co-MC, um, the head of their patient advisory committee, um, Frank Licardi, is going to co-host um, a, a mini conference that is yeah. called Love and Death, right? So right. I mean, like, this is, it's, this was my hope for this work, is that when somebody um, yes. has the unfortunate, um, you know, experience and the beginning of a journey of hearing that they have a terminal diagnosis, um, that they are able to, that we're able to do them the great honor of acknowledging the death is in the room. Mm -hmm. The moment that diagnosis hits, mm -hmm. I don't care what stage it is. Right. Um, obviously, the higher the stage, the more present it right. is. But death as an elephant is very much in the room. It's in the room for all of our loved ones. Um, it's in the room for everyone you talk about, and if you don't turn towards it and acknowledge it, um, it's make friends with it. Make friends with it. If you know, I mean, and I don't even—that's brave. Um, but well, I don't. I, I don't. Can I just share with yeah. you that I feel again when people always ask me what makes a good end of life, and again, end of life doulas coming in and doing that. Yes, it's absolutely wonderful to come in there, but a good end of life starts way back here yeah. with this conversation. So for me, if we are living with the awareness again, even our doctors having the conversation that one day. Whatever that looks like, whether it's a cancer diagnosis or just, you right, know, right. All, it, just that that'll be part of the journey. That when I get there, that I'm living with that awareness and that's, then, it, oh, this is the time. Yeah. It's not a shell shocker like it is no. now, which is super, it's compounding so much that fear. Okay, so the fear of no, death. No, that, that's a good definition of a good death because I don't like that terminology. What is it makes a good death, right? Mm -hmm. And the good death movement and all of this, I kind mm -hmm. of like, oh, it's like oh, I don't want to like, have a bad death. Have a whatever death, like you know, like I don't want people to feel like they have to achieve even, no, at, you know, but, at the death. But but I like if you if this is the um, the yardstick that um, making friends with your death, um, like if that's a definition of a good death, I think that that's something I could get. Well, through. here's the thing: unless I know anyone knows any different, tell me it's a hundred percent that it's going to be part of each and every one of well, our yeah, journeys. Of so I'm thinking that. No, no, I... Yeah. And, here, and here's the other thing I think that's super important is that it can go well, but it's your journey. And, yeah. and it's my journey. But, you know, again, the fear of death, which is the second leading fear in this country, I often say to people, what is that fear? 
because that fear is so palpable and it's destroying and it's causing so much suffering. And I feel it's just the elephant in the room of not talking about this at all. Yeah. And then when it shows up, it's like, what do we do now? Yeah. We we'll shut down. Yeah, no, if it's an enemy, you're, you're in trouble because then it's stalking you or it's right. glowering at you. But love and death, you kind of are bringing that right together in a beautiful yeah. way. It's yeah, it's just when you, like it. when you bring these two things in, um, instead of saying, you know, through death I gained X or through love I gained, you know, like mm -hmm. just putting them on equal yeah. platform and saying what can we Energy. learn when they are, we're looking through the prismatic, like um you know view of these two things mm. together mm -hmm. because it's not um as a serious kind of um ideas symposium or festival it's not it's not it's really not commonly done and i don't know of another instance of saying let's elevate it to this level it also makes it a lot more approachable because there's a lot of if you say to people we're doing a death conference you really limit your, yeah. um you yeah. know or even end of life or yeah etc but if you say no we're really looking at love and we're really looking at death too and there is a relationship between the two there yeah. really is like trust you know there is so that's yeah. it's beautiful i think this is going to be so iconic and um i know so many people are jumping on and they're just getting their tickets to seattle yeah. and now that you're <laughs> announcing new york we'll put all of those links um down yeah. below and please get your tickets because they will sell out so exciting what you're doing and again i feel like just raising the awareness for people plant seeds um, oh, now i want to for you to share the platform that you've built that you are building that is so exciting <laughs> that can really change the face of healthcare and what's really happening out there that's very kind and i'm excited <laughs> too um so you know while it is great to have these conversations while death over dinner has been very successful and death cafes um, and working with individual families, mm -hmm. um, you know, how do we actually, how do we get to everybody? Um, mm -hmm. And how do we get to families when they're in need? Um, when you're experiencing an end of life um, event, um, what you turn to Google, um, and, and then you have to become an expert, right? Mm -hmm. um, um, and maybe you do find a doula um, and they guide you through it, but you know, there's a, the vast majority of people don't have that, aren't utilizing that resource yet, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so we realized that we've raised the literacy, we've helped raise the literacy, mm -hmm. and and so people can now make empowered decisions. And so mm -hmm. um, we started, um, it started about five years ago, but it really intensified in the last three years, and then we now have a team of about 50 people working on it within the last year, and we launch at Love and Death um, a um, a platform called EOL okay um, called the end of life collective is this long name and we've designed it as a platform for um, as many um, well really for the best end of life practitioners um, and um, service providers um, for them to connect um, mm -hmm. in a in a safe and secure community mm -hmm. um, it's built on a social network platform um, and so they can connect so that they can then also help others. Um, so that we we all connect on various platforms. Right. But I was like, we need our own yeah. for this work. Yeah. Um, and it needs to be a, um, a social platform where um, people, when they're in need, can come into. Mm -hmm. um, but it needed a few other components because if it was just um, a nice social network that would be 
a lot of resources, but more like go here and find right. that. Yeah. So we wanted to have the best content. So mm -hmm. we've been building a lot of our own, but also, you know, we'll be working with all of the best content providers in the end of life space. Like the Elizabeth Kubler-Ross Foundation was mm -hmm. like, let's give you all of our archives. Let's give you all your of our content and make the, this the home for it. Um, and you know, we've heard that since we've been talking to people from countless um, organizations that create incredible content, um, and then also the marketplace of service providers. So that um, right now, again, Google is your best tool, other than having a, um, a doula that can guide you through it. Um, we wanted to have. Um, whether it was financial advice and planning, mm -hmm. estate planning, mm -hmm. insurance for advanced care or for life insurance, hospices, advanced care, you know, assisted care facilities, mm -hmm. all the way on to death care to bereavement and grief, mm -hmm. therapists, doulas, all in one place mm -hmm. um, that felt like home to them yeah. where people could find their services. And so we built it and it's really pretty. I mean, you've seen, you've seen it. I do. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah. It's really, <laughs> and it's really, really needed because I always say time is not on our side at end of life. And when people are given that, you know, diagnosis or, or the, you know, sometimes they don't even know who the players are in the hospice team, yeah. let alone because everything is so much. But I love having them all in one place and having such great, quality that you're offering and again soup to nuts so because there's a lot of different avenues that come along with that and in, in the incredible natural burial and just different options like right. cremations and all that that, that you want and you can educate yourself you can talk yes. to experts and then you can actually Community. and you can you know purchase the service so that's so exciting when will that be available so that launches April 25th and the okay. URL, it's not live right now, but it will be eol.community. Okay. Um, and then the other thing that it does is it learns about you um, through a quiz and through some other onboarding um, uh, bits, but mm -hmm. it learns where you're at in your journey. And then um, you have two options. One, the technological platform can just tell you everything that you haven't done and you um, yeah. should or could do. Right. It's a complete kind of your mission control. So it's yep. not just a checklist, it's a full, 360 degree, here's all of the things that you can complete to be like a, a good death citizen. Okay. Or less. Okay. <laughs> um, end of life citizen and be ready. Um, so, or you can um, push a button and have a, a doula there to do case management for you or your family, which will be really critical when um, somebody is having a hard time and maybe you're not in a place that has a doula um, or you're still trying to find one. Yep. And, but to have somebody remote who's, who knows this work and has been trained that can walk a family through sure. making these decisions instead of just calling, you know, sir, you know, going to a dignity memorial and say, make all the decisions for me. Um, it's yeah. not, not necessarily the best. Friend. Having a navigator and somebody to guide yeah. you is perfect. Um, so I will share with you, and I know that you'll probably understand this, is that 90% um, end of life's go better by 90% if people have planned ahead. Yeah. Whatever disease that is, it doesn't really matter. It's the planning ahead and having your end of life as much as, you know, in control of what you wanted. Um, but, but the logistics of it, super important. 90% the end of life is better and you're going to have that in one place. And I yeah. think that's absolutely fantastic. Yeah. So we are going to put all the links down below that you can access. <laughs> Sorry. I, it's yeah, a lot of no, links. it's fantastic. It's, it's just um, a movement's happening, and you're you know one of the most progressive people out here doing it. So I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast for the work that you do. 
And again, being a guest on Ask a Death Doula, this is Michael Hebb. And please come to the Love and Death Conference, Seattle, the 24th of April to the 26th and New York City. Uh, June 12th through 13th. Yeah. Okay. We'll see you then. <laughs> Thank you so much. See you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to another episode of Ask a Death Doula. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a raving review. Subscribe, share, and send your questions. See you in the next episode.